For September 9th, 2013, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 271. His brow heavy with the weight of his goggles. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Now, as you can tell already, Matt Rather is not here today, which means he is missing an historic event. Uh, an event nine years in the making. <laughs> an event that I, your host, Peter Fenzel, am so overjoyed and excited to be able to share with each and every one of you listeners. And with, of course, our illustrious panel today, which is a small group of uh, resilient and rough-riding outlaws and mercenaries <laughs> who are abandoned on this vacant wasteland planet. Yes, it is the third Riddick movie that they actually made. They made another Riddick movie, people. Uh, now, you may not have been familiar with this. You may not have been up to speed on the fact that this was happening, but we are going to talk about it today in detail. We're going to overthink this. The Riddick franchise is a personal favorite of a number of overthinkers. This is the Vin Diesel sci-fi uh, series that was launched way back with Pitch Black, which was all the way back in 2000 and hasn't had a film since 2000 and fours the Chronicles of Riddick nine years ago. So your question, oh, by the way, there will be spoilers for the movie Riddick, which has been sort of in marketing-wise subtitled Own the Night or Own the Dark or something, but it's just called Riddick. Turn off There'll the dark, be, perhaps? Turn off the dark, yes. Yeah, Riddick, turn <laughs> off the dark. Exactly. Um, or turn on the dark, the, indeed. Yeah, like that's the last thing you would want to do, Pete. Exactly. Now, now there will be spoilers for the movie Riddick. So if you aren't ever going to see Riddick, because you think it's absurd that you should be, it should be suggested to you to even watch Riddick, then maybe you should listen to us talk about it so that our enthusiasm for this could potentially inspire you to see it in the future uh, because it is it is a phenomenon, something else, something that's charted some interesting arcs in the history of culture, something that we're all excited about. But for those of you who might see the movie, uh, excited to see the movie, go see it first, then come back because we're going to talk about everything that happens and there are some surprises. So with that in mind, panel, your question of the week if you could have any space pet at all, any space pet at all. In this movie, Vin Diesel has a space pet that is referred to uh, in the credits, I believe, as the Jackal uh, and is referred to by some of the characters as a Dingo Dongo. As a Dingo. Yes. A Dingo, yeah, exactly. A Dingo Dongo thing, a Dingo. Uh, if you could have any space pet in your spacefaring adventures, what space pet would that be? And you've heard his voice already, folks. Let's hand it over to Matt Belenke. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing just fine because it's Riddick Weekend. Riddick this, is, all- this is literally a sequel that we've rated nine years for. The Chronicles of Riddick was 2004, believe it or not. And just we were, we were talking before the podcast, just to put it in perspective, that was also the summer where uh, Van Helsing came out, the Hugh Jackman epic Van Helsing. So basically the existence of Riddick now would be as if this weekend, like Hugh Jackman appears in the long-awaited sequel of Van Helsing 2, Van Helsing, <laughs> right off the dark, probably. I mean, this is a big year for 2004. Shaun of the Dead also came out in 2004, so we're seeing a lot of uh, of sequels to things. Yeah, as well, in the know, Anchorman that's, movie. But, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, 2004 yeah, yeah. is back in all its glory. Yeah, <laughs> it's back and ready for action. So yeah. we're, we're really excited for Incredibles. And too. you know what? Is is not John Kerry finally making a political comeback as Secretary of State? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> These are all I, – I just can't wait for Notebook 2 personally. I think that's going to be really wonderful with Ryan Gosling and, uh, and uh, 
Rachel Wait, McAdams. Wait, when was the Lake House? Because I've always wanted another sequel to the Lake House. <laughs> well, instead, I'm going to ask you about your favorite space pet. Matt, what space pet would you like? Okay. We'll talk about the Lake House on the Lake House sequel podcast when the inevitable <laughs> Lake House sequel comes out. Lake, Lake House 2, Own the Lake House. Oh, I've actually it's got called. this one it would, be, it would be called Houseboat. Because, like, oh, house on, the house would be completely surrounded by water instead of merely adjacent to it. Uh, space pet. Um, I'm going to go with the the space baby from the end of 2001. Oh, uh, if, if you recall correctly, at the end of 2001, Space Odyssey, uh, there is a floating embryo, sort of like in a, in a, a, a shimmering uh, g- gelatinous placenta uh, <laughs> type. It's 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 floating in space. It's a baby, um, and f- partially because like I want the sort of Mel Brooksian uh, throwaway sight gag, where my spaceship would have a big bumper sticker that says "Space Baby" on board. Um, <laughs> but, like, I mean, like, legitimately, I feel like if I'm sort of dragging around to Space Baby, people are going to be less likely to engage me in, in any sort of, like, laser battle because they're like, oh, they got that, that Space Baby is nearby. Like, we don't want to, you know, and it's like, I, I guess I would sort of use it as like a, like a, like a, a human shield. Also, like, you know, you have to wonder, is it always a space, is it going to stay a Space Baby forever or does it grow up into like a Space Boy and then like a Space Boy's? <laughs> Um, which is like I've never seen I know there's a sequel to 2001 uh, called 2010 which I assume is about like a nine-year-old sort of shimmering space boy Uh, (laughs) he's like he wants to be a normal nine-year-old but he can't be because he's like a symbol of humanity's sort of birth into like you know the cosmos (laughs) I'm Um, just just envisioning you in like a Chow Young fat hard-boiled scenario where you have the space baby in one hand and you're running around with a gun in the other a laser gun fighting off people who are trying to get Exactly, exactly. Uh, that's not what 2010 is about, by the way. I'm pretty sure, but uh, never mind. But you're not completely sure. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure, but I'm like 90%. I'm like 40% sure. I'm like 25.5% sure that that's not what 2010 is about. And I know that like, you know, some people say that like people can't be pets. Mm-hmm. You know, technically, like, you know, a space baby isn't a pet. It's like, you know, a, 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 it's like a family. So I don't know. I, I, it, I suppose it depends on like whether we feel like it's like actually like a human baby or like it just looks human, but it's like more like Natasha Kinstridge and species. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, and Ben King's species, of course. I'm probably grossly misinterpreted the F2001, but it's not <laughs> a giant species. Well, you know, if, if we've come here to do anything, it's to talk about Riddick and to grossly misinterpret the ending of 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> uh, so to do either those two things or the third thing that we are going to be doing during this podcast, Mark Lee, how are you doing? Is the third thing talk about uh, why Chronicles, why the Riddick series might not be so great after all? Because that might not be might be what I'm here to do. Ooh, oh, sorry, guys. I'm here to space rain on this parade, and that space rain is going to cause all sorts of creepy crawler things that come out of the ground that attack Look, this podcast. <laughs> if you cut open any Merc, you're going to find some dirty things on the inside there, all right? Yeah. We're not saying this thing is without flaws. <laughs> We're not saying it's without okay. its flaws. We might talk about those flaws in a moment. But, oh, uh, of course, okay. definitely. My space pet, okay, is going to be uh, space cats, and here's why. All right, uh, if it's in the short window of time, uh, after we finish recording this podcast and before we post on the internet, I am going to go out and purchase all sorts of space cat-related domain names, right? Like uh, Grumpy Space Cat, um, uh, I can has spacecheeseburgers dot com, right? So that I will be light years ahead of the space lolcat phenomenon, 
right? Because we know that when we find cats in space, we're going to make lots of image macros out of them. Uh, and they will, you know, by the time that we find cats in space, famous uh, non-space cats like Maru and Grumpy Cat and Little Bub will have, uh, you know, passed on to the ages. They'll be in, you know, belong to eternity at that point. And we'll have new alien space cats to take their place. And I will have all the domain names associated with them. <laughs> My brilliant Marvelous. plan. Yeah. Mark, for a second when you mentioned the space cats, I thought that you were you were making like a, a very deep cut reference to the the Aquatine Hunger Force uh, series openers, uh, Space Cataz. No, I'm not. <laughs> the the long running rivalry between the Moonanites and the Plutonians. No, uh, no I'm that, not familiar with you, this. It's okay. You can remain not familiar. With I mean, it. admittedly, I am encroaching on Laser Cats territory, right? This being the, yes, the I, famous uh, Saturday Night Live recurring gag. Emery, Emery, fetch the Fargate from the makers of Independence Day. (laughs) (laughs) That's my Plutonian impression. (laughs) (laughs) Both of which are being remade, by the way. Oh, really? Oh, that's great. I want to see, yeah, the Chronicles of the Plutonians and the Moonanites. Oh, man. Hilarious, hilarious. I, I got to throw my own answer to the question before we get back to Riddick. So I will say that in preparation to answer this question, I Googled space bears to try to see if there were any bears in space. And I found a rather interesting space pet, which is the, the, the micro-animal uh, tardigrade. Uh, which is a, a it's a water dwelling segmented micro animal with eight legs that also goes by the name water bear or moss piglet, and this particular micro animal has been known to exist in the vacuum of space on solar arrays or other space equipment for ten days uh, to survive out there in space. It can survive more than twelve hundred times the atmospheric pressure of the Earth. Uh, some species can withstand six thousand atmospheric pressures nearly six times the pressure of water in the deepest trenches of the ocean. Uh, and it's also a bear, which is the best thing for an animal wow. to be, if you ask me. Bears ne- are- never have I heard of a thing that has, like, two nicknames, like, on opposite ends of the coolness scale. <laughs> water bears water- and moss piglets? Yeah, like, like water bears. Water bears, that's great. Uh, yeah. And moss piglet is just like, you don't want to be called that. Like, if you're called that, like, on your first day of high school, you're never going to be, you're never going to date a cheerleader. Yeah, that's, wait, that, wait, that wait. Is Let's back the truck up. This thing can survive in the vacuum of space for ten days. Yes. Like, have we tried subjecting other animals to the vacuum of space to see how long they can survive? Like, Mark, uh, we're human beings. We're very resourceful. We've done many of these things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I don't know. Is there like a te- was there like a giant menagerie we sent up where we exposed a whole bunch of animals to the vacuum? Yeah, of I mean, like, well, is there or is there not already a Wikipedia page that is you know list of animals and how, how long, long they can survive? How long can survive in the vacuum of space. space? All right, look, I got to host the show, so one of you guys can Google that one. Well, well, if, if this actually exists, I'm actually going to be a little bit upset by it. All right, so then let's spare ourselves. Although that's not what Riddick is about, folks. Riddick is not about sparing ourselves from the seedy underbelly of human existence and or the tragic ebb and flow of fame and success in movie making. Um, Riddick could just merely tie the splint to his shin like a normal person. (laughs) But that that would not be Riddick enough for him. No, no, no. In fact, in this movie, Riddick uh, takes two necromonger knives of some sort, like sort of arrowheads or darts of some kind. And yeah. it, like in just he, he uh, what's the word that I'm looking for, I guess, perforates. He anchors. It's like a, it's like a what you would do with a cork board and like a schedule for the week with the shin to his. Uh, yeah. He have a pick, affixes it. He stabs it into himself. Um, so, yeah. So let's before we get into the new one, let's give like a sort of quick run back 
for the neophytes and also for the rose the rose colored glasses of nostalgic histor- historical perspective for what has happened to Riddick over the years, right? So, so Mark, did you get around to seeing Pitch Black? I know that we were we were introducing you. We're throwing you in the deep end of the pool right now. You don't have the same sort of storied history with Riddick that Matt and I have going back. I do not. No, yeah. I have not seen Pitch Black. I just saw the Chronicles of Riddick uh, like a couple of days ago. Um, okay. And I've been hearing you guys talk about the Chronicles of Riddick and Pitch Black for about the better part of six, last six years. So yeah, which means we waited term. three years to start talking to you about it. So thank you very yeah. much for that. Those were our three years for us. <laughs> we were really holding. We had weekly meetings where we had to like re- re- <laughs> reaffirm our strategy. Like, look, let's spare Mark just another couple weeks. Come thank on, let's do it for the I appreciate it. All right. So, so I mean, I'll say from my perspective, my fondness for the Chronicles of Reddit came from the very, very aggressive 2004 ad campaign, particularly out-of-home advertising in New York City for the movie The Chronicles of Riddick, which showed just a really bizarre and improbable image of, like, super-duper close-up of the top half of Vin Diesel's face with, like, these crazy eyes and funky goggles, and then, like, a sort of vast matte painting of generic evil alien chaos happening behind him with this like deep orange tone and I remember like jokingly saying a lot oh man the Chronicles of Riddick are coming out really excited to see the Chronicles of Riddick and thinking that over time the tone of sarcasm gradually diminished until it was sincere until it was like (laughs) I'm really excited to see the Chronicles of Riddick it's coming out this weekend let's totally go see it Um, and I do remember the day I don't know I don't think it was opening day I think it was the Saturday right Matt I think we saw it on the Saturday because um, we saw it together. Because we yeah. rented Pitch Black. Back then, there were places you could go to rent movies that were like actual places. Yeah, and for they like had the kids parties. on the podcast, this is how we used to do it in the olden days. <laughs> also, back so, then, yeah. Vin Diesel wasn't the biggest action star in the world, right? Uh, I mean, he was. He was. He he had a lull in between, right? Like he he was yeah. still a pretty big star in two thousand four. Uh, he may to have give, been like an equivalent star in two thousand and four, and and arguably the Chronicles of Riddick is what sort of pushed him off that precipice. <laughs> exactly. The, pretty much. I mean, the Pacifier came out in two thousand five, right? And the Pacifier, and like when you do your movie where you take care of kids, is like the sign that you're sort of grandfathered in as a big action star, right? Like The Rock did it with the Tooth Fairy, um, and like. But so your, your theory is that if you're at the point where somebody feels like you're, they want you to like cross over and have that second quadrant in your back pocket and like you know be a family movie star, then you're saying that like you've reached a plateau from and 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 you you can't revert right that like if you've done your crossover movie, then like you always have that in your back pocket. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it's it's sort of like some kind of. Uh... Not a gold watch, but it's definitely like a, 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 you bank that. You bank everything that's happened before your crossover child taking care of movie, and like that's your past legacy. And everything that's happened in the future is kind of like gravy. I mean, I can't say you have to have been a big star because Mr. Nanny had Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan wasn't a big movie star, really. I can't believe you um, beat me to the Mr. Nanny reference. <laughs> that's the biggest counterexample to what I'm talking about, right? Is that Mr. Nanny happened, and Hulk Hogan wasn't a big action star. Uh, uh, he is a big wrestling star, of course. Uh, much like Batista, who appears in the new Riddick movie, which is awesome. Um, Before we get too far away from taking care yeah. of, uh, of children movies uh, starring an yeah, action yeah. star, right? Yeah. Kindergarten Cop, to be clear, it was in 1990. It was before, arguably, his peak in, what, 1991 with Terminator 2, right? Right, right, right. So Arnold still had room to ascend. So everything I'm talking about is kind of nonsense, but at the same time, the point is that Chronicles of Riddick came out with... I don't want to say about the Tooth Fairy... But yeah, we don't need to talk about the Tooth Fairy. It's the Tooth Fairy is not real, guys. Let's not. Uh, let's not, <laughs> spoilers. Okay. Spoilers. Oh, the tooth uh, hurts. 
the two. Oh, you can't handle the tooth. Uh, so the point is that in 2004, Vin Diesel was a big star. Fast and the Furious had done well. Some other stuff he was doing was good or whatever. Um, you know, uh, Triple X had happened, right? Triple X had happened. That was successful yeah. to an extent. Despite Babylon him getting AD was still four years of the future. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my goodness. And then Vin Diesel had a long lull that came back with the unexpected success of uh, Fast and Furious, the fourth Fast and the Furious movie. Um, but we saw Pitch Black. We read to Pitch Black and we watched it immediately before going to see The Chronicles of Riddick. So we saw them back to back the first time. And the difference in tone between the two movies is staggering, right? It's just yeah. staggering. I mean, Matt, you want to go into a little – I feel like the closest I can compare it to is the difference between Alien and Aliens. Yes, exactly. Like, except the except first one the, is like it's small, it's contained, it's a small group of people, and then the yeah. second one is just massively larger budget, massively larger, sort of like universe-shaking scale. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which was extra funny because there's no reason to do that with this character, and that is the that is the problem that is fo- that went into the Chronicles of Riddick, which is that like you know Riddick. For those of you who are listening to hear our enthusiasm and have not seen these films, Riddick is a superhero whose superpower is he can see in the dark, and his other superpower is he likes to stab things with knives and is proficient at it and is like good at stabbing people, um, right? And so this makes a lot of sense in Pitch Black, which has a plot that's very similar to what happens in the new Riddick movie. Movie, where there are these aliens that only come out at night, and thus the guy who can see in the dark and stab them is of use, right? And so he's useful in that situation, yeah. and thus his tense relationship with his compatriots is a dramatic and interesting thing. The second one is kind of about intergalactic sort of spiritual metaphysical politics and war, with like a giant space armada of the undead up against a sort of ecumenical alliance of space religions, most notably space Islam, which is also featured in Pitch Black, but is not nearly as large of a player as it is in the Chronicles of Riddick. And of course, there's space uh, elemental Judy Dench, who kind of flies around. Um, Dame, Dame Judy Dench. Dame Judy Dench, who joined the movie because Vin Diesel filled her room with flowers and begged her to do it. Um, <laughs> so, so, okay. So, with that really all likes mind, flowers. She does. She does. She loves being loved. I mean, who doesn't love being loved? If, if Riddick is about nothing else, Riddick is about how much people love being loved, right? Because it's like we try so hard to push people away in life, but then sometimes they come down on a rappel line and straddle us, and it's like, oh. Here's, here's I have a, I have a, a theory about Riddick, or, or rather, like a, a, a way of thinking about it, in which the the massive change in scope from Pitch Black to the Chronicles of Riddick actually makes perfect sense, which is that like Riddick is sort of meant to be a space Conan. And I'm certainly oh. not the first person to suggest this. And of course, like right. Conan the Barbarian, if you read all those stories, is a story about like one guy, and he's I, I don't know if literally he's, he's he's referred to as like the last of the Sumerians, but clearly he's the only Sumerian in town as far right. as uh, as far as Conan the Barbarian is concerned. So he's this guy from this legendary race of badasses, and he's probably the greatest badass of the legendary race of badasses. So he is like a giant in a world of like lesser men. And the the arc of the short stories and the the the, the sort of mini novels um, is you know he starts out as like a petty thief and then he sort of works his way up to to a pirate and a raider and then eventually in the the, the sort of uh, stories that are later in the chronology although not later in the order that they're written he is king of aquilonia that he has become king notably by his own hand by by slaughtering the old king and so that there there is a massive change in the sort of conan scope from this from this guy who's sort of alone in the world and he's just struggling to survive and he's, he's sort of looked down on as like a, a petty thief and a bandit to this guy who is like literally you know remaking the world in his own image because he is like so much 
more of a badass than any other man and no one can oppose him. And I think it's like if you if you feel like the Riddick project is equivalent to the Conan project, it makes sense to sort of show how this guy goes from being this like petty criminal to like a, a guy. And I mean, and it's been noted by others that like the very end of the, the credits of the Chronicles of Reddick features a, 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 just a straight up ridiculous shot of a statue of Vin yeah. Diesel seated on a throne. Literally. It's not, it's not like a, it's still image of him seated on a throne. It's like a statue molded in like bronze of Vin Diesel sort of seated on a throne, like with his, his brow heavy with the weight of his goggles, um, <laughs> which is it's almost, I, I feel like, very uh, close to the, the end of Conan the Barbarian, in which there's sort of an image of sort of a, an elder bearded Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of seated on a similar throne. Okay, okay, so, um, Belenki, I, I like the, the explanation that you provided there, that this is all sort of part of some big artistic project, but my guess, and without actually knowing the backstory behind the making of the Chronicles of Riddick, is that... Uh, essentially, you know, Vin Diesel was a big star at the time. Like, hey, we need this movie to be a huge blockbuster space opera. Let's make it a huge blockbuster space opera where Vin Diesel becomes like the savior of a planet sort of thing. Well, the one thing I would say to that is that we can't – this isn't just Vin, – Vin Diesel owns Riddick now. But the guy who's really behind Riddick is David Twoey or Twoey. I, I don't know how to pronounce his last it's name. It's an unpronounceable last name. Exactly. It's, no human being can pronounce it, and I defy you to find a human being who can <laughs> pronounce this man's name. Um, but he is the writer-director of the Riddick movies. Okay. Right? Like, um, and he is the, he is the real – he invented Riddick. Vin Diesel did not invent Riddick. Uh, and and as such, to an extent, he I, he reminds me a lot of um, of Roland Emmerich in terms of like he has like a couple of really exciting ideas, and then people throw a whole lot of money at him, and he does like the sort of same ideas but more opulently and with like more <laughs> more like with more enthusiasm, and or he tries entirely new things that are huge disasters, right? And like and in that sense, he, but, he like Roland Emmerich, who likes the huge disasters. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and so, so it's important to know that it's not just Vin Diesel who's behind this. There's also a guy who has like got lucky with a relatively low budget like sci-fi thriller movie and has then gone on to do like pretty much – I mean he did have a little bit of something to do with a little movie called Waterworld. Um, oh, he also like helped write The Fugitive. He did a bunch of other things. I mean it's not just this. But, uh, but this is like his sort of – his baby, his magnum opus, and I, part of why the Chronicles of Riddick got to be so bloated, uh, I think, was just was also because of his determination to finish the project, regardless of the cost. Um, no, please note to people listening to the podcast: we, I, I have not seen, I don't think Matt has seen either the Chronicles of Riddick: Dark Fury or played the Xbox game uh, Chronicles of Riddick: Escape from Butcher Bay. So any of the sort of expanded Riddick expanded universe material as to what happens to Riddick between Pitch Black and the Chronicles of Riddick, like we're not familiar with it. So if you want to talk about in the comments, that's awesome. But in case we're omitting anything, I want to pre well actually us in in that event. So so Mark, so Mark, you give us your impression of of the Chronicles of Riddick and how it prepared you going into this movie, and maybe even transition a little bit into like how you then what what did you feel about the movie having just seen the new movie having just seen the epic older movie? Okay, so let's see where to start with this. The Chronicles of Riddick, based on your dis- the enthusiasm with which you guys <laughs> described. The Pitch Black and the Chronicles of Riddick, and like based on you know the imagery that I'd seen online of Vin Diesel with the goggles and the aliens and the trailer and the fact that James du- Dame Judy Dench was in it, I was expecting, excuse the pun, quite the ridiculous 
action fest, right? Like something completely over the top with like it's maybe with its tongue planted a little bit in cheek. Oh um, no. Oh not even no. a little bit. No, this movie's totally serious. Chronicles yeah, Riddick yeah, is yeah. totally, totally serious. Everyone's trying really hard. Yeah. yeah and I was not <laughs> expecting that at all. And yep. you know, like and, and so part of the problem was with, with tone and, and outsized ex- expectations for the movie. Another problem that I had with Chronicles of Riddick was uh, I don't know, it's it's pacing, the the the, the 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 prison sequence in the middle was long. It made the prison sequence in the middle of Dark Knight Rises seem really exciting and important by comparison. Um let's see, the editing was also kind of funny. There was also these weird um uh, some sort of camera trick going on during the action sequences where the frames started to skip a lot. I don't know if that was trying to telegraph something about you know, Riddick's vision, that sort of thing. Oh, and then also, what do you think you mentioned this earlier? I had a big problem with uh, Riddick's power, right? And him being able to see in the dark, which barely came into play at all. Yeah. Uh, during yeah. the Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> yeah. like, and also, what wasn't clear as well was like, well, what, what's his vision like in the daytime exactly? And is he impaired by that? Like, it's all kind of purpley and shiny. Is that a problem? Um, the whole thing was not just particularly compelling in the way that other really imaginative sci-fi movies that we like to talk about a lot, uh, we uh, that I thought were, were compelling. Oh, uh, like RoboCop, for example, is, is 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 it's in the news recently. But that's sort of you know that imaginative sci-fi that like tells a tight story and uh, and, and just sort of reaches out and, and grabs you, and you sort of immediately understand what it's about, and also has something interesting to say. Chronicles of Riddick is not quite like that. So, it's really not tight. It's definitely not tight. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of think of it as a labor of love that was done with like a great deal of earnestness and determination and as like moments of brilliance and a lot of just sort of people overstepping their capacity mm. to oh, do what they're trying moments to do. Of, moments of brilliance, the art direction yeah. in the Chronicles of Riddick. Yes, oh, yes. Fantastic. Loved yeah. it. Loved it. Like, the, um, like one of the movies I, I – one of the moments I really love, um, which I think is one of the things I, I – this is indicative of a larger thing I love about the Chronicles of Riddick, which is sort of the nonchalance of the Riddick character in the scope of the ridiculous things he's exposed to, is there's this – he walks into the Necromonger spaceship, and there's like a lavish panning shot of the sort of central forum, which features like a number of of giant monumental statues of people ripping their own flesh yeah. off their bodies, <laughs> the most grotesque statues possible. Yeah. And then like somebody – and then somebody turns to Riddick and is just like, what do you think of our, our you know, foyer or something? And he just sort of like, looks at her and he's just like, foyer, I, yeah. yeah, no, he, they, I don't think they say foyer, but, but he just sort of looks at them and like, I think I would have gone another way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, so yeah. Let me yeah. just take this to, uh, to going into uh, this most recent movie and my reaction coming out of it. Right, is that I had, I think I'd sort of skimmed a review, which, which gave me a sense that this movie was much more like pitch black than it was like the chronicles of riddick um which is probably a good choice and you know the, the movie i felt was was really acknowledging that quickly up front right what was uh part of his one of one of his monologues early on in the movie which is that uh my problem was that i got civilized yeah. <laughs> I, I can't do a good vin diesel voice i'm sorry i think we still have to work we still have to work on that, but it's like, yes, like I got too big. I got too big for my britches, and now I got to get back down to basics. Like, yeah, I got to get back down to, to I got to get back down to animal style. I'm not talking about um, 
uh, in and out burger animal style. I'm talking about like, uh, you know, domesticated wild dog animal style. <laughs> in fact, and in fact, there's the scene that, that he gratuitously takes off all his ornate gothic armor from the second movie. <laughs> it literally strips down to nudity before um, making his own sort of organic uh, 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 Portlandia style clothing. <laughs> you, you, you skipped the part where he stood on the rock precipice in the space sunset in his naked form <laughs> to like yes. cleanse himself. He had a baptism in this movie riddick baptizes himself before the new movie starts by like dunking himself into the water in a symbolic death at the hands yeah, of the he dies himself. Dogs. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 and then he comes out and he's a new man right he's like renewed i was trying to figure out isn't that the exact same water that he he uh, found undrinkable earlier yeah. Uh, yeah i think it's like sulfurous what is it's just so it's it's he can be in it he just doesn't want to like imbibe it I mean, haven't you ever been to the Jersey Shore? Like, there's a lot of water you can swim in that you shouldn't drink, Matt. No, I mean, you got, you got a point. I can't argue with it. No, I, I, it's it's probably because it has like sulfides and stuff dissolved in it, right? Because it's volcanic. Although it might just be the space eels and their peculiar biology. Uh, you have to read the extended universe novel uh, Riddick Own the Ichthyosaurs. I don't even know uh, to get that whole situation under control. Okay, um, so to wrap up my my Riddick journey, um, mm-hmm. I'll just say that. Uh, my impression of, of this last movie was that it's like totally serviceable, entertaining space horror movie, right? You can put <laughs> it in the same genre of things like, I don't know, like I guess like Alien or Aliens for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it sounds like it's in the same genre as, as Pitch Black as well. Um, yeah, so I found that entertaining. Uh, Vin Diesel, uh, you know, not, not quite as entertaining to watch as like he is in the, in the Fast and Furious movies, uh, but, uh, you know, fun. Cool. So here I am, and like I'm dying to hear what you guys thought of it. Like, so, 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 Matt, let's jump to your Riddick journey. Where does your Riddick journey pick up as we arrive at the new Riddick movie? It's, I mean, it's interesting. You know, if, if the first movie is Alien and the second movie is Aliens, this is very much Alien Three. Which, if you recall, Alien Three, which most people don't, uh, very early David Fincher, sort of before he he made like Fight Club and became famous forever, um, is uh, it, it sort of goes back to basics, right? That like instead of fighting uh, a large amount of aliens with with high-tech weapons. Uh, uh, Ripley, uh, Sigourney Weaver is in a prison colony, and there's a single alien, but of course, since it's a prison, they don't have any weapons, and they have to sort of improvise ways to fight the alien. So it's almost as if they, they, they went out of their way to recreate the circumstances of the first movie, and almost to do a sort of, a, a sort of rem- you know, second verse, same as the first type of uh, mm-hmm. sequel slash remake, and that clearly some of the some of the thought here. And if you ask me, they they, they I, I first of all let me make this clear. I really enjoyed the movie. I I love the character, and it's funny. I I had I said something to Pete before the podcast started that almost was the exact inverse of what Mark said. Is that I much prefer the Riddick character to the the Dom Toretto character that he plays in the Fast and the Furious. Who I I, I feel it, it's tough to know what his sort of identity is supposed. But that has more to do with the fact that the Fast and the Furious has sort of evolved in ways that like make that character he's he's so far out of his element you know if i'm supposed to be like an italian guy with like strong roots you know like family and community and all that and like you know at the point where he's like this this glow hopping driving superhero it's like i don't really know who dom toretto is anymore yeah, um, yeah. but and, and but like riddick is like it's, it's something much more sort of elemental and you know and i enjoy seeing how he deals i mean the, the fact is like i felt like this movie was you know, within the you you knew it was going to be by the numbers in some respects, but within those numbers, 
there were there were unpredictable moments. But like you know he's going to start like picking off people one by one, but you're not exactly sure how. You know he's you know he's going to the, the hunters will become the hunted, but like it's fun to see exactly how it unfolds. You know that there's something bad coming in that rain cloud, but you don't know exactly what it is. And you know you don't you, in the end game, it's unclear how it's going to go. Who's going to betray who? And and how they're how they're going to get out of it so that like I enjoyed and you know even even the um the 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 bits you know one of the major plot points in the second act is like how Riddick is going to get his hands on those batteries which are like locked in the in the very entertaining sort of uh, the the lock that will explode if you type in the wrong combination right um, and it was it was fun I mean it's certainly not Ocean's Eleven. Um, well, what do you mean by that? Like, you mean it's not Ocean's I mean, it doesn't aim to be Ocean's Eleven. It's like, I wish that no, I meant no, that. No, but I, I meant the, the specific heist aspect of, like, oh, oh, is, okay. going to, like is, is going to get into that safe. Um, it's, I mean, you know, structurally, the movie is very, it's got three very distinct acts where, like, the, the, you know the the incentive and the goals of the characters change wildly. You know the first act being really like a solo piece of like you know really like castaway in space, right? Where it's just Riddick alone on a hostile planet, and he's right. He goes back to his to to basics, and he's like, "Can he survive on the on the least hospitable planet in the galaxy?" And the second act is you know Riddick versus a bunch of bounty hunters, and like you know, can he? You know, and they come in like very uh, highly armed and highly equipped, and he has nothing. And can he turn the tables on them and get it to the point where he's gonna like either kill them all or sort of like subjugate him to, to his will? And then the third act is like now we're banding together against a bunch of monsters, and it's a creepy crawly movie, um, you know. And it's it's kind of an interesting. I mean, in a little bit, I, I think that it's it's a it's sort of a compromise between the various things that maybe the fans wanted to see from Riddick, which is like, they want to see Riddick, uh, fight people like in the second movie. Uh, and that doesn't happen in the first movie. In the first movie, he really doesn't kill a lot of people. Um, he doesn't do like a lot of fight. He just fighting against the monsters. Um, and so that they, you know, they, they want to see Riddick, Riddick hunt people down so that they needed to work that in and they wanted to see But then they wanted to, the, the fans of the first movie want to see Riddick go against a bunch of aliens on a hostile planet. And they want it to be like, you know, a bunch of, uh, man versus the elements type, uh, showdowns. So, I don't know. I mean, it was an interesting, like, you know, they, they clearly thought very hard about how they wanted to, you know, down to the title, which is interesting that, like, if the second movie is the Chronicles of Riddick, in a way, it doesn't, it seems a strange choice that the third movie will just be called Riddick. Yeah. Um, although I think it, it makes, if you, but of course, like, Vin Diesel's done this before with the Fast and the Furious merely becoming Fast and Furious well, yeah. and oh. launching itself to greater success. Another movie that sort of had similar, uh, the decline in scope of the title and sort of back to basics thing is Rambo, right? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah, the yeah. most point. recent entry into the Rambo uh, the series is simply called Rambo and the ones up to it were not called that. Yeah, no. the Rocky one did the same thing. Stallone did that thing twice. Well, with Rocky Balboa, right? right. Where it yeah. was like Rocky, Rocky three, Rocky four, Rocky five, Rocky Balboa. Yeah. It's like we're but, back. Right. To basics. It, but it says something when you do that. It says that like yeah. this is going to we're going to strip this down. Yeah. That the Chronicles of Riddick is this sort of ornate gothic elaborate, you know, is, is going to be something epic in scope. It's a ridiculous, The Chronicles of Riddick is a ridiculous title, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, that's part of what made us fall in love with it in the first place, I think, or at least me. Yeah, yeah. That, like, just the fact that, like, a studio would agree that The Chronicles of Riddick is an is a acceptable title yeah. for, like, a sci-fi action movie, um, 
is you know it made me run a root for it right out of the gate yeah exactly exactly i mean i'll share i'll share my my own feeling about this movie going into this movie too uh or at least coming out of it uh i, I mean i love this movie um i i really i felt like i'll go even a step farther than than matt went and say i felt like this movie took a lot of what had been set up for riddick and synthesized it into the first movie that was made with the Riddick character where the Riddick character actually gets to sort of serve the purpose that the Riddick character wants to serve, or at least that, that people wanted to serve, that it sort of leans towards serving. So in the first, in Pitch Black, Riddick is a plot device. He's not the protagonist of the movie. The protagonist of the movie is the woman, yeah. Fry, I believe is her name, who is the initial pilot of the space of the spaceship and who right. then she's like, the first character we sort of see. Yep. And I mean, I don't want to drop in spoilers for pitch black, but it's a very, it's very interesting sort of like how the, you know, the, the sort of shifts and the importance, which I mean, really goes to show that like somebody has been watching alien very carefully. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we have to drop in spoilers for pitch black because they're referenced in Riddick. <laughs> like they talk about the plot of, of, of pitch black in the new Riddick movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's notable, for example, that Fry, the female protagonist of pitch black doesn't make it out of pitch black alive. Right. And in fact, I feel like this is important. This is really important because I think the movie Riddick has like one really, really huge problematic scene or like problematic sort of scenic arc that I want to unpack with people here today. Uh, and it is all around the character of Dahl, who to, an ex- to a small extent or maybe even a meaning slight extent corresponds a-, a bit to the character of Fry in the relationship that Riddick has with her. And also Riddick has this – because in – so – so Riddick and Fry in Pitch Black, right? Like Fry is the female pilot of the spaceship who doesn't know that Little John's is a, uh, is a is a bounty hunter. She just thinks he's a regular passenger. She doesn't even know Riddick's on the spaceship. And she ends up in this terrible situation with these monsters coming after her. And she's the one who has to reach out to Riddick and kind of trust him, right? Uh, despite the fact that he's murdering people and has murdered people and is not a good person, right? And so well, – right, well, that's, that's, I don't want to derail your thing, but I want to go back to, to whether or not Riddick is a good person, which I think is, right. it's an interesting and open question. Well, no, totally. I mean I think that's what this movie is a lot – a lot of this movie is about. So yeah, let's let's talk about that. I mean, you um, want me to talk you, about it, or do you have no, something no, you want to say? No, no. I mean, here's the thing. Like, Riddick is is openly referred to by a lot of characters in, in all three movies as being evil. I believe, yes. I, I, I'm thinking mainly of, of Judy Dench as sort of an opening narration to the Chronicles of Riddick, and she's like, in normal times, evil should be fought by good. But, like, you know, in desperate times, or, like, in these dark times, evil must be fought by another kind of evil. Just straight up saying that, like, Riddick is a bad guy, and normally, like, he should be put down like a bad dog, and it's only because we are desperate that we are willing to get in bed with him. And he does kill a lot of people but I think it's critical that like the only people he ever kills are like people who are trying to kill him or people who are like you know really signified as as scumbags who are not worthy I mean you know and and I mean I think I think the the key here and this is not a typical among movies where like the the guy he's rough around the edges but he's got a code of honor right that like yeah. if we were playing D&D he'd be what he'd be like neutral lawful it, Riddick that- and Chronicles of Riddick in, in Chronicles of Riddick, he's probably like chaotic good, right? Or, but or he's like, but he's, good. he just wants to be left alone, right? His big yeah. thing is like, this is not my fight. These yeah. people are not my problem. But then, like, push comes to shove. Like, he doesn't, you know, he'll he'll help people out. Like, you know, if maybe he's true neutral because he balances because the necromongers become too powerful, and so he goes after them to kind of balance it out. But he loves Jack, and when Jack gets in trouble, he goes after Jack, right? Wait, get, so, back over a second. Yeah. In, in, yeah. Pitch Black. Are Riddick's crimes actually ever described in detail? Yeah, he's a multiple murderer. He spent a lot of time in prison. Um, Wait, I mean, but, but well, I mean, beyond I think, I think just being a murderer. Oh, no. I mean, I, I think 
I think that like you know, were you to get into the backstory, and for all we know, that like in Butcher Bay or the the uh, the the. Dark Fairy, by the way, is sort of like a, a cartoon, I think, that's included on the Pitch Black DVD. Um, I mean, I think his crimes are probably like killing people who are basically bad and doing bad things. Like, I don't think he's just like, he's he's, uh, he's uh, stabbing a man in Reno just to watch him die. Yeah. You, know, I mean, my, you get the yeah. feeling that like, Riddick is a dude who has like a code, and his code has basically like made him an outlaw in like a galaxy where like the rich and powerful can sort of bend the rules to their advantage. You know, sort of the way that like Conan is also like, you know, a criminal, but that's just because he will like kill a dude who insults him because like that's the way he lives his life. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he's like you know. I don't mean to interrupt. So no, 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 no. It's fine. I mean, I'll, I'll add to that because I, I tend to think, especially in the new movie, in addition to these things, Riddick is a social commentary. You'll note that the movie was produced by Vin Diesel's One Race Productions, uh, and that it is it, Riddick talks about being left behind in a lot of time, uh, areas of his life, being abandoned by people, and I think it's sort of understood that Vin Diesel grew up. Uh, Vin Diesel, that Riddick grew up in a very violent place where violence was expected of him, and where he he sort of had to be violent in order to survive, and the laws that the you know the mercenaries and bounty hunters have always been trying to apply to him, a haven't really been relevant to his life, and b you know haven't been apparently justified by a morally superior behavior by the mercenaries, right? It's like Vin, like uh, Riddick has been chased his whole life by people who are following who are like following the law, bringing the law to bear against him, but who themselves don't follow the law and aren't good people and murder themselves too. So Riddick. It definitely has committed acts of violence, but the sense is that he he didn't really have it a chance because of sort of socioeconomic factors and uh, and, and his upbringing and where he's from. You know, I mean, the whole story of him being in the prison as being his sort of his foundations. You know, Peter Parker got to become Spider Man when he was in high school. Like Riddick was in a maximum security prison when he became Riddick, right? When he had his eyes operated on for a couple packs of cools or whatever it was. I mean, they're cools, right? Isn't that even more than anything else? I mean, that was one of the things I really wanted to to talk about. Uh, is that this movie has some pretty clear racial stuff going on and is about um, kind of people from different backgrounds, people who have different expectations about how other people will behave, but also people who are accustomed to an attitude of this person isn't like me, therefore this person is just trying to screw me over, therefore I have nothing to gain from helping them and I should just try to screw them over. And it's a war of like all against all except if you can somehow temporarily identify with people who are like you. And of course Riddick feels like there's nobody like him. Right. I mean, to add to the sense that Riddick is kind of a disenfranchised urbanite, um, in this movie he gets a pit bull. Right. Like he has, like, <laughs> and in fact, I, I wrote on Facebook today that the most important scene in the new Riddick movie is the one with the crab enchilada, because I felt like this was where the movie made sense to me. Because Riddick buys, or Riddick buys, Riddick goes to the the station and he gets a pack of pistachio nuts and and a pack of synthetic uh, crab enchilada frozen space food. Or whatever, or like you know, like self-heating frozen space food, or whatever, and um, and I mean, where and you get the pistachios, and you're excited about the pistachios, and you eat them with your pit bull, and you get this cruddy instant food. Like, where do you go to buy? Where do you go where the best thing you can buy is pistachio nuts, and the thing that you end up buying, which you end up hating, is like awful, like instant food, and it's a convenience store. Like Riddick lives yeah. in a food desert. The desert in Riddick <laughs> is a food desert, and he is and he is trying to survive, and he is frustrated because he made a go of doing it 
in the way that society tells him he's supposed to, which is by being a Lord Marshal of the Necromongers. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and society and screwed him over. Doctor McCoy be your second in command. Exactly, exactly. And he was betrayed by a, by a climbing, you know, by a guy who was part of that other posse, and he was left for dead. And he was abandoned, and he's like, "Well, I don't need to buy into that society anymore. I'm going to be like an underclass, right? I'm going to like fight for my food and my fantasy, my power fantasy is to just have like a giant piece of meat I can eat whenever I want, right? Like that's like the best possible thing that could happen to me. So in this I sense, I feel like what? reader. I, I don't know if it was, or it might be the same read on the crab enchilada thing, which is that to me that was kind of like yuppie food. Oh. And well, that, like, he's, he's this guy who's like, you know, living off the land in the most literal way. He's like eating yeah. raw pieces of meat. He cooks over a fire that, that, that he's built out of his own excrement or something. <laughs> and then here's the thing. And he gets this, the, finally a taste of civilization. And he, the nuts are fine, right? Because the nuts are nuts. And yeah. he finally gets a taste of civilization. And to me, a crab enchilada is like kind of like a Whole Foods type of yeah. And it's like you can get a crab enchilada at like your basic supermarket. That's like a fancy sort of like, you know. Like a, it's like a yuppie thing to me, and he's sort of like, no, it's like this. This food is like too complex. This is sissy food. It's like, a, it's, I'm, it's I'm a, gonna keep my barbecue with my dog. It's a space cronut. Yeah, <laughs> and some other planet. Exactly. It's space space, space yuppies are, are lining up for three hours to get uh, their crab and water. And it I, sort of goes along with this idea that the Mercs have this technology, uh, most notably the, 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 the homing sort of robot, the, the needlessly complex uh, homing uh, the, the arm thing. Um, and they have this technology, and of course, it doesn't work. And I feel you feel like even if uh, even if Riddick had access to it, he wouldn't he wouldn't want to use it. He prefers right. simpler tools and a simpler way of life. I was definitely thinking about while I was watching the movie how Riddick, in some ways, is kind of an urban power fantasy because he like can see in the dark and he has a knife and like you know he fights people in kind of concrete jungle scenarios like prisons and stuff. But he's also kind of a rural power fantasy because he like has a dog. Like it just it made me think about how Riddick really does unite different sorts of. Uh, power fantasies and adventure fantasies from different subcultures that don't often get combined together in sort of the same way that Conan did, I guess. But the idea that he's sort of, that he like would be at home sort of in a Western, that he would also be home, be at home in like sort of a gangster movie. You know, he would also be, you know, at home in a sword and sorcery fantasy movie. And I think it's sort of making a case for including um, types of people and ideas of people into our idea of who are heroes and and who is who is at stake in our fictions and our cultures like brought like including a greater variety of people in this movie and to go way back to what I was saying before um, I was saying that in Pitch Black Riddick isn't the protagonist so it doesn't really matter that he's bad and he's bad I mean he murders people he has a tough upbringing but he's not like so this is complicated and we'll, we'll shelve that for a second in Chronicles of Riddick they sort of pose the question. Okay, our hero is bad, and now he's going to be the hero. So that means that the bad guys have to be worse. And the the thing that results is the bad guys are so much worse that it's ridiculous, right? They're yeah. they're going to a place that's either a, a you know a pantaloon or a sandwich called the Underverse, right? Like <laughs> so this like necrological spirit, like it's all awful. They're turning little girls and into zombies, and they're exploding their leader plants. literally will rip the spirit out of your body while you're still alive, just like in Mortal Kombat, like. Literally 
literally the same effect. <laughs> exactly. And so, but it does, so it doesn't really matter. So the second, the Chronicles of Riddick movie has a lot of the problems that a lot of anti-hero or sort of gritty reboot movies have in that like, your hero is kind of a jerk. And it's like, hey, the kids love heroes who are kind of jerks and are rough around the edges and listen to that rock and roll music, right? It's like, but he's not really bad. Like the fact that he's this prisoner who's, this former prisoner who stabs people doesn't matter. And so in that sense, his character doesn't really get to inhabit the movie. And in the third movie, you have a situation where Riddick is the hero of the movie and he's also got all of the flaws that he has throughout the other movies and they matter. Right? Like it matters that Riddick is sort of antisocial. It matters that Riddick is violent. It matters that he goes up to people and punches them in the face and or like says horrible sexual th- sexualized things to them in inappropriate times. Like it matters that he's very, very rough. And it also matters that everyone else is very, very rough. And so it's not a movie where – it's not a sort of um, Joseph Campbell-esque kind of movie where he needs to go on a quest, right? Where he needs to like defeat the bad guy, right? Where he needs to like win the, the great battle against the – the lightsaber battle against Darth Who's a McCallit or whatever at the end of the thing. Like, this is a movie about how are some subset of these people or are some set of these subset of these people going to invite some sort of mercy or mutual understanding into their relation to one another, which is hewn by these just unbridgeable divides. It, you know, you have these, 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 you know, the, and it, it comes in, they, they even like bring in a lot of colonial, uh, colonial subtexts uh, in here because the first wave is Spanish and the second wave is American, right? Is, isn't it funny how the Americans land and ask so smugly superior of the original Spanish colonists and then eventually like, like we'll, we'll just out. hang out till you guys implode and then take yeah, over. <laughs> and then we'll take over um, here in the, here yeah, in the so, desert. Pete, is, yeah. that, are, is that sort of the, the racial uh, dynamic that you were referring to earlier? Like the, the first crew is the Hispanic crew and the second crew is more or less the American crew? Yeah, yeah, and I mean it's not it's not a strict one to one thing, but like that that is there when this the waves of colonists who can't work together because they themselves are from different colonizers, right? And and Riddick he's not indigenous really, and 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 so it, it obviously doesn't correspond one to one. Like yeah, it's see, not a perfect thing, right? Because like the, both crews I believe are of mixed ethnicities, yeah. right? Yeah. There's a black guy in the in the quote unquote American crew. Um, but but you're right. Sort of the 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 big what is it, Daddy John or whatever his name. Like he comes down as this very like square American authoritarian figure, right? Well, yeah, but he rounds this- out all of his R's and enunciates a lot. <laughs> but there's the great scene where Vin Diesel catches him behind the locker. Right. And then he's like, you know, and he talks to him. Right. And there's this real sense of I mean, I thought it was kind of an Uncle Tom scene where Vin Diesel is like looking because Vin Diesel, of course, is if you didn't know, is, you know, half black. You know, his dad was black. I'm pretty sure. Right. And um, and and so and that's something that people forget. You know, I was having a talk with someone about like, you know, oh, there's it's another one of these, you know, Fast and the Furious, another one of those movies. It might have even been Jordan on the podcast where it was like, oh, Fast and the Furious is one of those movies where the white people go to Rio de Janeiro and screw things up. And I'm like, who? in that cast is white you know paul walker you know like vin diesel is not oh, yes, white. paul walker certainly but. <laughs> but like vin diesel i mean the one race productions anyway the point is that like you know vin diesel and the the fact that the guy on the american team is black matters in the movie and that's one of the reasons why when he riddick meets him they're able to relate on some level and riddick doesn't kill him it right is- that movie, that moment struck me as strange because Riddick's strategy up till then seems to be to pick off the team one at a time, and the fact that Riddick chooses not to, 
strikes me. I mean, do you feel like the reason on, on some almost like, you know, meta movie level is the fact that like that because within the movie, it's like like Riddick is not black. He's Furian. He's he's part yeah. of a race of which he is the only surviving member. Um and and but but sort of outside the movie, are you saying that the, the fact that like you know that is the minority member of the team sort of like leads Vin Diesel to be like, I'm giving you a chance, or like I'm not I'm not ready to take you out. I, I don't think that that that's quite how it works, but I do think so. So one scene that kind of gets lost in the beginning of the movie, not the beginning of the movie, I guess it's like a third of the way into the movie, is when the female prisoner is let out of the ship. Right, the one that they've presumably yeah. been raping. You know, I mean, we I, should also say that, that's very warning, because there's a lot of yeah, there's yeah. a lot of sexual assault in this movie, and and it, and I feel I I think I think it would be very easy to impugn this movie for how it treats sexual assault, but I actually think that it treats it pretty freaking interestingly and well, and we can talk about that more. But you know, the the guys in the ship have been raping this woman and holding her prisoner, and they release her only to shoot her in the back, and then yeah. she sits, she lies there on the ground and is making eye contact with Riddick, and Riddick is making eye contact with her, and he watches her die, and he's sort of with her as she dies too. He's kind of like the yeah. Lawrence Fishburne in Man of Steel who's like, I'm going to sit here and be with you uh, while this is happening. Of course, he also can't do anything to help her because if he gets out from behind the rock, he's going to get shot. Well, but I mean, you can she, sort she's of still – She's going to die. You know, it's gonna like die the bullet anyway. straight through her body. But certainly yeah. that surprised me because like the, when, they, when they introduced that character, I was like 100% ready for that. I was like, okay, there's like the love interest. There's like the yep. woman who like keeps up with Riddick to take out these guys and get revenge on these guys who have been like abusing her. And it, it shocked me a little bit when they – because here's the thing. Like, why do you think that she was in there at all? Like, why just to establish that this bounty hunter is a bad dude? Well, no, I think I think that it's because Riddick needs to sort of come to a moment of mute because Riddick has has been away from people. Like Riddick rejects civilization, and Riddick goes into the wilderness, like involuntarily. But he goes into the wilderness, and he befriends, and so he he has to make this journey back towards society. Like it's the Odyssey to an extent. To like, there's a way in which this story is the Odyssey, in which like you know Odysseus has to go from the, all the camaraderie and institutionalization of Troy out into the wilderness, and then sort of rebuild himself as a person who can function as a king of his island, right? And so, and he, he's coming back in stages to being with people. And uh, and this is an important step for him. Like he first, he has to befriend the dog, and then once he's befriended the dog and tamed the dog, and they have that relationship, he has to realize that he's not the only person who gets abandoned by people, right? And then who gets left behind and betrayed and shot because he's kind of self obsessed about at the beginning of this movie and in the other movies about how much he gets screwed over, how much civilization and society or whatever have dealt him a raw deal, space society, whatever, have dealt him a raw deal, and how he has a real huge chip on his shoulder because of all the bad things people have done to him. And why that scene is important is because it forces Riddick to look at a situation where somebody else is getting a huge raw deal and be reminded that that all powerless, right? Somebody who doesn't have his skills. Exactly. Now, this doesn't make Riddick into like an avenging hero because that's not the kind of movie that this is. It just sort of plants the seed that he might not be the only person who's in his situation. And I feel like it is somewhat of a coincidence that like – I mean it's just as important that the guy that he meets behind the the locker is like bald. Like they look similar in certain ways, especially (laughs) in the shadows, right? Like it's it's like there's a moment of mutual recognition between their characters. I also think that Riddick admires people who are capable and who are good at what they do, and I think that 
the guy with the gear is good at what he does, and I think it's obvious that the doll character is good at what she does, and they're sort of they're no nonsense about their jobs, and I think Riddick appreciates that. Um, but then the, the movie is sort of a journey towards like. Is there any way that these people can cooperate? And Riddick goes from a point where he's literally laughing about it, where he's like banging his chains against the bars and just laughing because he's thinking the plot of Pitch Black is going to happen now and it's going to be terrible. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, like I feel like Riddick's laughing about like I have to revisit this chapter in my life from years and years ago, right? Like, well, here's um, the thing: you say have to, but what occurred to me in this movie is that Riddick really he, he very purposely paints himself into this corner that he could simply i mean at, at the point where he has the batteries he could go ahead and tell them that like there are a bunch of monsters who are about to attack and you want to make this deal with me before the monsters attack but instead he's very elliptical about it he's like your your deadline for accepting my deal is when the rain shows up and then it'll be too late and he could yeah. he could say what he knows he could they have binoculars right and they could, yeah. but it's almost like he wants to recreate the pitch black scenario, you know. And and, and the, the Riddick character, he clearly loves being tested, you know. Yeah. And he feels like he he regains something that he's lost by being tested. So that like I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that like he doesn't just, you know, when he when he sees that there are monsters coming. Well, look at it this way: the rain cloud was probably not unavoidable. You know what I mean? That like yeah. when the red cloud is coming, it's not like pitch black when the entire planet is going to be engulfed by death. And your only hope is to get off the planet like as soon as you possibly can. It's like a rain cloud full of monsters. You see it coming literally days away. And instead of instead of being like, you know, I'm gonna go over there now. You know, so yeah. the rain the rain doesn't get me. He's it's which it's they do like, in Chronicles of Riddick when they run from the sun, like they run away from the sunrise in Chronicles of Riddick just to get I away from I love the that. Anyway, sorry, yeah, yeah, that's definitely. really clever. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's almost like he he doesn't want to leave the planet until he's like he spent some time in that cloud. He yeah. wants to set up a scenario and so that he can like spend some time in the cloud and then leave the planet. But it's like you know there was. You feel like there were ways that, like, you know, A, he could have stolen the ship quicker before the rain shows up, um, yeah. or B, he could have just avoided the rain entirely and just lived on that planet forever. Another example of Riddick not wanting to take the easy way is in uh, describing how um, that guy, again, the name of the Little John, little, how Little John actually died, right? He constantly is withholding the real information from. From Papa John, from Old John, yeah. Pizza Papa John, <laughs> um, and and just like he's constantly goading him, right, to get him to uh, just to, just to rile him up for, for yeah. no other real apparent reason, right? No, but he he states the reason though, and I think that this I think this is totally I think Riddick is trying to recreate the events of Pitch Black. I think he's doing it because he's trying to like recreate a trauma of abandonment, right? He's trying to and he's trying to test people, and he's trying to test to see whether he wants to be back among people. Um, but he says he's testing people to see if they have spine, also, right? Exactly. Well, and, the, and this and spine is this quality that he has, which is you know, the, sort of the closest thing to goodness that he understands, or not that he understands, but that he has faith in, that he can trust. Right? It's like people who have spine, he can trust. He can't. No, he doesn't trust anyone to be good because he understands that people are bad at certain degree or another when you look within them. But um, but but he says he plots out what he thinks is going to happen. And one of the most interesting things about the movie is that it doesn't happen the way he says it's going to happen. And some of those ways, I think, are by accident. Some of them are surprises to Riddick. And and some of them are on purpose. The main thing is that he expects John Sr. to betray him 
in much the same way that Johns Jr. did, because that's what he expects from that kind of person. Right. And, and, and I think that this also has certain analogs to sort of, you know, majorities and minorities in societies where it's like you don't trust the guy who shows up at the head of the brigade to give a crud about you. Right. Like so he's like you're going to fold just like he did. And he hasn't even explained yet what happened. He hasn't explained that he, that he tried to you know sacrifice a little child. Right. And there's a, a morphine addict and this crazy person and that he you know he ended up dying because he couldn't he, he refused to cooperate and help help everybody and get off the planet. He just was out for himself. He expected the guy that to happen to him too, and he kind of needed him to show him that he wasn't going to do it. Right? Like he needed the John Sr. to demonstrate that he wasn't going to betray Riddick. Otherwise, he was, it wasn't even worth saving anybody. Right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like he's not willing to be the only one or even – I could argue whether it's the, he's the first one or not because that's the other thing that I really want to get into. And I know we've run long already, but I feel like it's the most, one of the most interesting parts of the movie that I really want to get into. Um, but like you know, he's, he's if not the first, certainly not the only you know, person who puts himself out there. Let me, let me, just, let me just broach the subject. Let's just, let's just talk about it now. Let's talk about Dahl. Right. Yeah. And let's yes. talk. His let's, name I'll ask is you not D O L L. By the way, I had to look it up to but confirm. You would never know that until you see no. the credits. There's nothing in the movie that makes it. You know, I assumed it was sort of a nickname, and sort of like you know a double edged nickname because like she clearly yeah. does not want to be treated as a sex object, and so yeah. it's almost like an ironic nickname because like that's the last thing that she is is some is some object, uh, some pretty little uh, you know uh, thing that you collect. Yeah, and that's the point, right? <laughs> is that, but that's the point, is that everyone treats her that way, but she's not that. You know? And it's not like she needs to overcome that idea of herself. She's never that. But that's, you know, but that's how people treat her anyway. And it's an idea of, okay, these are, cruddy, these are people being cruddy to each other. I don't want to like, minorly curse too much in case it aggregates to one chili pepper. right? But it's like um, people are, are crappy to each other and treat each other poorly. And, and this is what I mean by like – this is – Antiheroism, where you have people who have problems and people who are mean and nasty, and they still have to function, and we have to live together. Like if you're going to save humanity, you have to save both the good people and the bad people. You know, this is not a situation where you get to be the one who decides who are the sheep and who are the goats, right? Like, and maybe Riddick wants that to happen, but at any rate, so doll. So here's the question for you guys: What is the fair deal when when there's when Riddick, presumably it's Riddick who writes it, right? So when Riddick writes in blood on the locked cabinet, fair deal. What is the fair deal that Riddick is well, proposing? It's not me, what they think it is. Right? Let, me, let me pose an even more basic question because I'm a little bit confused by this. So there's a yeah. scene that Riddick witnesses while he's sort of like hiding in the rafters Batman style where Dahl yes. is assaulted. He, yes. He is assaulted. And your expectation as a viewer is that Riddick is going to intervene. Because yes. it's, and it's and it's almost like perhaps that's why the woman was assaulted, not sexually, but but that's implied um, earlier in the movie and killed right in front of him, right? And yes. that's the moment that sort of sets him up to like, I'm not going to let this happen again in front of me. I'm going to like make a commitment to sort of like you know rejoin the social contract on some level. But then, but then you find out you don't see it. But what actually yeah. happens is Dahl rescues herself. Riddick does nothing. Riddick just watches it. And then presumably what happens – and I'm, I'm actually a little vague on this and I almost wonder if something was cut out. That both Dahl and, and what's his name, the Spanish guy that, that she presumably beats the crap out of, then like leave. And then Riddick takes some of the Spanish guy's blood that has been spilled all around the room and spells out fair deal. 
See, like right. that doesn't quite add up to me. I mean, that that's yeah. the that's the events that are presented to you in the movie. But I'm wondering whether what we can kind of infer might have actually happened is maybe Riddick did intervene because who? There's a b- bunch of blood all over the place, right? And the guy asks, "Whose blood is that?" And the Spanish guy is bleeding, but he's not bleeding that much. He's not bleeding puddles of blood all over the place, right? Yeah. So, like, did somebody get stabbed? And and Riddick wrote the leave one ship you know and and I, and or I'll kill you all he wrote that in his own blood so i was wondering is it possible that 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 riddick did intervene that that was riddick's blood and that he knocked the spanish guy unconscious which is why the spanish guy doesn't remember it and that the fair deal is a deal that he was making with with doll that i'm saving yeah. you now you look out for me later like, like it's the fair deal is that like I'm helping. I it's like I didn't help out that woman who died in front of me because I couldn't, and it was something that I couldn't tolerate because I could see that she was abandoned. You look like in this situation, you're like me. You're in a situation like me where people are just just crapping all over you, and and if I help you here, maybe you help me later, and that yeah. would be fair. Hmm. And, and a situation like me where you're you're the only one of your kind. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, and later, and, and so, and later, the reason that I say this is that I find it really interesting when Riddick is saying all the sexual things to and about Dahl during his sort of plotting out what's going to happen in the story. Right. And, and, and like when it's saying, OK, here's what's going to happen is that like, you know, I'm going to kill this guy in five seconds because he killed my dog. And they, we all knew that guy was dead as soon as he shot the dog. <laughs> like that guy was not going to make it anywhere. Um, and then, you know, I'm going to do all these things and this guy's going to betray me and then we're going to have sex. Right. I'm going to be balls deep in her is what he said specifically. Yeah. And and so and, and I'm wondering that when he and he says that I'm going to do it not because I'm not going to force myself on it I'm going to do it because you asked you me. Asked me all pretty like exactly exactly and and he also comments and this is the part that I found was really interesting he comments on the color of her nipples right yeah. and he says that her nipples are now why would Riddick comment on the color of her nipples at that point other than a he's trying to be he's being buddy buddy with the guy he's actually negotiating with and is assuming that this guy like talks this way and is fine with talking this way because they all are he's also being provocative and he's trying to like well, appear strong and like be a tough guy and all this other stuff and he's also like aggressive and he's sexually aggressive and, well, he and, and he's revealing to everybody that he's been around that he's been lurking in the shadows and that he, he sees all and knows all yeah. So this is what I think. I think that when Riddick says that he knows what color her nipples are, that um, he, he's she's supposed to know that he was the one he did see her in the shower and that he took her mirror. Right. So he steals her mirror from. So there's that shot where Riddick's hand is reaching in through the window. Right. Mm-hmm. And the expectation is that Riddick might assault this woman in the, in the bathroom. And yeah, she's it's naked. a threatening shot. Right, it's the hand is, is hovering shot. right over her neck, and she's vulnerable. And, and, and the yep. music is building in a way that yep. will make you a special yeah. attack. And Riddick has been picking off people in the group one by one and killing them. And there's really no reason for him not to kill her at this point because she's a mercenary. Yeah. And he doesn't kill her. He steals her mirror so that he can then improve his like surveillance of the area and kill the guys that he thinks are actually threats because he's a pretty good judge of character. This makeup kit there, he's touching himself up as well. You know? Oh yeah, he's got a little yeah. bit of foundation. I mean, like that's you got to put something up there with some SPF, or you 
you're going to get baked by that sun, right? Like, Pete, you finish the thought, and then I got something. Oh, so the point is that, like, I think that he's letting, he's reminding her that he had the opportunity to assault her, and that he didn't. Right? It's like you were really vulnerable in front of me that time, and I could have forced myself on you like these other guys did to that other woman who was in this this ship with us, and I didn't do it. I was good to you, right? And I'm not saying that they, you know, I'm not saying necessarily like any guy saying this to any girl would necessitate that they must do something for him in return, but it's some sort of basis for a connection, right? It's like some sort of basis, not for like romance or sexuality, but for like for mercy, you know, for for not killing each other. And so what we see at the end when and Starbuck comes down on the wire and literally straddix, straddles Riddick and straddles him with a sense of smug satisfaction at the right. irony of it, right? Is that like I was saying I was going to have to straddle this guy, but now I'm straddling him. And oh, you know, by straddling, I'm saving him, right? And, I, and I'm, I'm rescuing him. And I'm the person in, in authority and power here. Although more it's like, you know, this is the sort of consummation of our little relationship that we were talking about before. We weren't talking about sex. You know, we were talking about like mutual interest and we were talking about cooperation, right? And it's the idea that humanity has mutual enemies that are natural, you know, that are structural, that are beyond us, and that we should team up together in some way to be able to go against them, but our divisions among ourselves are so deep. And this is, I think, what this is what the racial element of the movie is. It's just the divisions between people are so deep that you have to go to extraordinary lengths to really connect with someone to the extent that you at least know that that person isn't going to try to kill you. Right. right, Pete. Your so, interpretation yeah. is all fine and good, and well thought <laughs> out and reasoned. But I got a well. Actually, it's going to blow a hole yeah, right through sure. your entire theory. Yeah. Then uh, Riddick sees everything in like purple, shiny stuff. He doesn't know what color her nipples are. <laughs> Everything's pink. That's right. right he knows like what pink they are or something. <laughs> and they actually weren't that pink, but that's not the point. Um, yeah, I mean, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I don't know if that actually does uh, poke a huge hole in it, but it is. Uh, it is no, no, it doesn't. I just wanted to be a jerk. I mean, you know, it's, it's yeah. interesting that, that uh, all that you're saying about doll, because like taken at face value, this is a very problematic part of the movie. That this is yeah. this is a, a, a an old cliche about this sort of lesbian who merely needs the machoist manliest man to sort of show her what she's missing and, and convert her back to the light side of the force, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I also it also occurred to me in the movie that like she says she's a lesbian, but we never actually see her be a lesbian. Yes. You know, and that perhaps is something that you say when you are the only female mercenary and like a group of sort of tough guys to mm-hmm. maybe avoid uh you know, or, 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 or like a piece of armor. And that it's sort of it, it's it struck me that there's this, there's a big plot point in the Diesel, uh, a character, sort of a, like a teenager, who is sort of presented as a boy. Everybody accepts as a boy, but Vin Diesel knows that he's yeah. not. Right, uh, Vin right, right. Diesel knows that he's a girl because he has this sort of intuition about people, this sort of chemical animal thing. And it's almost like he, he sees through her sort of like her, her mirage, and he knows what she actually wants. Not that that itself isn't problematic, but it, yeah. just, it just sort of strikes me as that, like, you know, maybe he doesn't actually convert her. Maybe he just sort of, like, reveals her. I mean, I thought it was really interesting, at the very least, that so much of it is left ambiguous, because the like, events don't add up. Least, right. Well, it, and also, like, you're even implying that, like, maybe they actually don't have sex? Wait, why would they have? They don't have sex in the movie. 
Well, I mean, but the, the thing is, earlier in the movie, he sets it up. He's like, I'm going to go balls, balls deep in tall, but only after she asks me all pretty like. And the sort of last thing that, that she says to him before they sort of have the hard cuts and come up with, it, with him running the spaceship away is she's like, hey, Riddick, I need to ask you something all pretty like. And then there's the <laughs> thing. Right. Which is like right. clearly implies something. But yeah. you don't actually see it, and it's it's interesting. She's missing from the la- she's not there on the bridge when they when they say farewell. Perhaps because she's like crying in her room, right? And like, and, like <laughs> writing writing Mrs. Riddick and like notepads. Because <laughs> uh, that's the that's the thing, right? Is that like it's almost like there were other ways the story was told, and those ways were cut out, and that what's remained kind of is fragmented and fractured, and you can try to assemble it in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, and I mean, I'm being an apologist. I admit. It. Like I'm a Riddick apologist, big time, and I find it really hard to believe that they would that they would really go through this movie and be like, "Yup, Riddick flips the lesbian." That's the big that's the big reveal at the end of the movie, right? Is that like there's a woman who likes women, and Riddick is too much man for her? And I'm like, that's just so inconsistent with what happens in the rest of the movie. You know what I mean? It's uh, I, yeah. I find I find it I find it hard to believe that that's what the movie is about. And I I do think that the I think that the ambiguity around both Doll's sexuality and the sexual assault. Um, of her uh, are 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 related to the difficulty of talking about those things among people in real life, um, because because the other the sort of other side of this you know the movie res- ends with a a gesture not even a gesture but like an act of mutual interest and compassion right like Riddick is saved at the end of the movie right it's a, Riddick doesn't triumph at the end of the movie he's rescued right and like his his yeah. victory is that he's rescued right um and so and that's like oh okay so this is a path of somebody who is like totally alienated and rejected and he comes all the way around to a place where people accept him and want him around right like and that's the journey that we go on it's it's more of a romantic yeah. comedy than, than, a, than an action but it's, movie in that it's interesting like take a step back because like you know you, you think you think in any movie the question is like what does the main character really want but really in like a larger sense what the main character wants for this entire series is to like find his home Find his people. I okay, but but I think I think it's critical that like both at the very beginning of the movie, what gets him into trouble is that like being king of this army that's taking over the galaxy is not enough. He really wants to like find his. I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna go as far as like he wants to find his mom, but he wants to find out who he is and where he's from. Like like you seem to want to sort of downplay the sort of like I need to find Furia thing, but like clearly for, for the writer. It's very important because yeah. it's consistent in I, – I don't think it's a pitch black at all. But certainly in, this, in the second movie and the third movie, the idea that like he's the last of his kind. He's from this planet that nobody knows how to find and yeah. that he's looking for it. He goes looking for it at the beginning of this movie, and he leaves to look at it. And it's a sure, it's a sure thing that if there is another Riddick sequel, which God willing in the Cryptone Rise there will be, yeah. uh, it will pick up with him searching for this planet and maybe not finding it. But like it will be sort of another step of his path. But then like you know, look at it at a – at a, at a larger sense, like he's looking for his place, right? He's looking for yeah. a society that he has a place in, and it's like you know, you, you think about like what he does during this during this movie in order to like to get out of the situation, and like at first he's picking people off, but then like you make a good point, which is that he very purposely spares two people he could have easily killed, yeah. Um, and it's the fact that he spared them that allows him to survive because at the end of the day he does need to be rescued. That yeah. like he is a badass, but he is not so much of a badass that like he's not going to get stabbed, right? Occasionally, right, right. yeah. And yeah. and at that point, like what's what's going to matter is the people that he could have killed, but he. 
he didn't. And so that, like, you know, fair fair trade written in his own blood is, like, maybe, like, you know, is that is that the Leviathan? Is that the social contract? Is that <laughs> that's the political philosophy of Riddick? Is that is that is that like the fair trade? Is that like I think the you know, I think I think the fair trade is when Achilles lets Priam bury his son, right? Like <laughs> Achilles kills Hector, right, and like and and wins Troy, you know. But but uh, Priam gets to it's bury like ten days of funeral games. You know, exactly. I, I think the fair trade is that Riddick wants to go to his own planet and and grow coffee and trade that fairly <laughs> on the international intergalactic market without any tariffs. How amazing if, the, if that's product placement? <laughs> that's product placement ever for fair trade coffee. But I would say that I hope because I. I always thought that the whole Riddick finds Furia thing was kind of stupid, and I thought that they they had edited a lot of it out um, smartly from the second movie, and now yeah, in the well, extended cuts of the second movie, they put it back. What? Yeah, I mean, the extended cuts of the second movie is like he has like angelic visions of like the spirit of his homeworld. Yeah, which is like literally like all the Furian dead cry out for vengeance. Remember who you are, Riddick. <laughs> he is even, I believe, he is imprinted with this sort of handprint of holy light. Yeah, and it's like uh, that represents the spirit of Furia that he's on within. It's pretty. It's, it's, it's wise, wisely left on the cutting room floor. Exactly. Yeah. Guys, Carl Urban is still alive in this movie, right? Like he's the only one who knows where Furia is. So that's yes. the fourth movie, right? The two of them team up uh, in a hilarious <laughs> misadventure of the two misparent individuals go hunting across the galaxy for Furia. Yeah, exactly. It's Achilles and Macbeth on the prowl, right? Like going to get the team that can't be stopped. Um, but yeah, but I, I was going to say, I I hope that when Riddick finds Furia, because you know he has to find it eventually if they get to keep making these movies, I hope that what he realizes is that, you know, his real home are like the pockets of people that he's met along his travels and that he's helped and that have helped him, right? As And the darkness of his life is that these people are so few, right? It is that there are so spare few people that he's met along the road that he's been able to be nice to just because of his circumstances and also because of his general attitude and personality but like <laughs> just and also like, he's made a bunch of choices where he's murdered a lot of people but it's like that that you know his people you know are the people of you know Helion Prime you know the refugees from Helion Prime like you know you know Big John's the father who forgave him for the death of his son right like you know the 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 the, the lesbian who was willing to endure his his crude sex uh, advances and save him from that mountaintop, right? Like it's like that when he finds Furia, that it isn't Furia that's truly his homeland and people, uh, or maybe they lend him, you know, support. Maybe he finds in them a certain, you know, self-identification and strength. But there is also a reason to turn outward because this, because the Riddick movies are about bridging gaps between people. I mean, they're about the darkness. They're they're you know they're about solitude. I think and they're about like the idea that Riddick can see in the dark is that he's alone in the dark, but he still can see, you know, like, and that's, and that's a <laughs> metaphor for human relationships. <laughs> anyway, any last words on Riddick? We've already gone over time, uh, which I think is totally, totally, <laughs> totally, uh, warranted for a, for a podcast nine years in the making, clearly full of a great deal of enthusiasm and excitement. There's a lot we could have kept talking about. We could have talked about whether it was like Riddick's strategy in, in, uh, venom immunization <laughs> becoming accustomed to, to to insect venom or like his relationship with his yeah. dog but yeah do you guys have anything to pitch in as your final thoughts for before we wrap up mark uh i'm i'm glad i've been able to sort of catch up in a small way to your <laughs> to the Riddick enthusiasm that you guys share i can't say that i'm a completely uh, one and apart with it uh but uh yeah this is fun 
I'm glad I'm here. The last, uh, I think Riddick is is interesting from a business point of view too, because it's like it's this. Normally, what studios are going for is temples, right? They want to spend a ton on a movie that's just going to make a ton and sell toys and Burger King cups, and you know, like like they they, they want to make Pacific Rim, like a juggernaut that can go forever. And Riddick is trying to do something different. It's trying to make a very small R-rated niche science fiction horror. You know, it's trying to make a movie that's for a very small group of people, but it doesn't have to be that successful. Riddick made only $18 million this weekend, which would be, I mean, like uh, for, for um, uh, you know, like uh, The Lone Ranger, it would be a disaster. Um, right. But for Riddick, that's a successful weekend. And yeah. that probably means that like there might be another sequel because it's like it's a humble enough movie. So that like it's and it's it's interesting that like you feel like given that this was the summer, it, it, this was a summer in which the, the box office had unprecedented success, that it, it was made more money than ever. But it also had like, you know, what, like four out of the 10 biggest flops in Hollywood history this summer. Yeah. Right. That instead of instead of you know throwing these high risk high reward um, you know massive tentpole pictures, maybe like there should be more riddicks, more movies that are like small enough in the scale so that like you don't need to get everybody to like them. You just need to get Pete and I to like them. <laughs> you know, Vin Diesel did uh, refinance his home. He took out a loan on his home to make this movie. Now, are granted, you serious? He did. The movie cost, what, like $40 million? Less than $40 million to make. But Vin Diesel had, went on record saying that if this movie bombed, or this, if the movie wasn't finished, then he'd be homeless. <laughs> he he mortgaged <laughs> his own house uh, to make it. Yeah, because Universal didn't actually produce the movie. They only distributed it. Vin Diesel produced it himself um, through, through, one, through uh, One Race Productions, which is about global ethnic uh, reconciliation, and uh, which means that Riddick... And, lever- you, and leveraging your home equity, apparently. <laughs> well, you know, which has its own issues in in terms of if the, the fairness across races, uh, in terms of who le- who has to leverage their homes more than others, but let's not get into that whole that whole chestnut um, and redlining and all that nonsense. But um, but it's notable that if if you wanted to see more independent action movies with you know ethnically diverse casts with you know LGBT characters with major roles, like if you're the kind of person who is like decrying the lack of progressivism in Hollywood, this movie is both great for you and terrible for you because <laughs> it's great for you because it has all those things because it's going to make Vin Diesel this is ironic a lot of money. Exactly, but it's terrible because they're all really immoral and bad, and like everybody treats each other so poorly. And the and this is sort of a commentary on the human condition, is how I read it because I'm a Riddick apologist. And it's like, well, yeah, of course they're not nice to each other. You know, it's a Riddick movie. You know, they're not supposed to be nice to each other. It's about what you can do against the backdrop of everyone being mean to each other. Like it would be too much to expect Paragon behavior from any of these characters, and it would be it would make the movie worse. But you know, so it's like, oh, you know, there's horrible trigger scenes, and there's awful exploitation and there's all these other things and and so if you're looking for a kind of a, a you know a, a flag to carry to represent your cause like this is not the movie that's going to do it and so the 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 future remains and what will happen to riddick maybe he'll go to the, the casino planet or something i don't know there's lots of room yeah. to do i'm still ready for the sort of furia is like the fast and the furious and that the, the Vin Diesel verse sort of collides. Yeah, <laughs> and we have just a giant, just a giant Saint Elsewhere moment where like Vin Diesel and the pacifier is, it drops a snow globe. Yeah, like the what? Iron Giant shows up. <laughs> 
Well, if you want to expand on the Vin Diesel verse, you want to hypothesize all the different Vin Diesel characters that will appear in his mind escape and his phantasmagoria. <laughs> if you want to talk about the new Riddick movie, about how the problematization of the character of Dahl or the potential uh, sort of ironic uh, didacticism of the way that the character of Dahl might or might not have been treated in the deleted scenes. If you just want to talk about the dog or the survivalism or the old movies or the new movies or the, or the Fast and the Furious movies or anything else, you can visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. It probably doesn't deserve. Hey, Matt, how's your Riddick call? Riddick! Like that? I'm going to try one. Riddick! I got, I got one. I got one. Riddick! <laughs> <laughs> 